Welsh. Good mixture. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good for Scots. Three quarters Scotch. <laughs> Scotch Irish, they're all responsible for the war, all the feuding in our country. Oh, is that they right? All over it's yeah. Oh, is that right? Wagle talks about that in one of his books, and which one it was. So they were, of course, they were we are kind of when they were in, yeah. in Scotland and Ireland, too. <laughs> they just yeah. fought oh, the contentious the over. Scots absolutely yeah. hate the English. Yeah. Nobody else in the world fights if oh, you just on that <laughs> little Jack, island. that's not good coffee. That, that, people that little island. I know oh, what happens to the and dry. Coffee is not very good, just be warned. And what? This is not good. There's no good coffee. Okay. I tried to make a pot and it did not succeed. But if somebody liked it, that's right. I'm, I'm kind of, I've become a kind of coffee star. My father would like to say it could be worse. Always could be worse. All right. Let us pray. Blessed Lord has caused all these scriptures written for our learning. Grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to try some of your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm you just can't make a it. face. It's yeah. responsi the responsibility of the maker that didn't heat the water up or... Uh -oh. It seemed like, yeah, something happened wrong. Yeah, it might have been it, because it's, it's lukewarm and it just isn't very good. So. All right. We're at Psalm 85. Hopefully everyone got the notice on that. Uh, if you didn't, it means you're not on the list, and we should put you on the list. So... Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's 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 jump in and talk about that. Um, what's interesting at the very beginning in in the uh, Psalms, there are these um, headings uh, that are are not always considered to be part of the scripture. That they probably might have been added later, but they're there and they tell us something. Um, and the um, the heading to Psalm 85 is to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, uh, which is interesting because, does anyone remember who, who Korah was, biblically, from your somebody in, somebody in the temple, temple assistants? Well, the, they're infamously linked with two other people, Dathan and Abiram. Does that ring any bells? They're the three who rebelled against Moses yeah. and decided to um, uh, say that, you know, well, we could all be priests. And so they had a contest, and you're swallowed up. Yeah. Uh, families of Korodith and of Iram. Uh, but apparently not all their families. Not all, because... Um, uh, here we have, this is a psalm of the sons of Korah, um, which uh, is a psalm of redemption of sort of uh, asking God's favor after a kind of sense of judgment. It, it, it 
it just, I don't want to go too far with the point, but it does seem to um, speak to God's mercy after judgment, which seems to be the case in the psalm, that you've got um, God's, the psalmist is praying for God's mercy, and, and, and uh, because uh, fortunes have turned. So, there are um, 11 psalms that, are, that have a, a heading, song, songs, a psalm of the sons of Korah, so they're featured somewhat prominently. Well, let's read our, our psalms, so then, and we can go back and talk about it. I think it's good to, to, to do that. Um, hear the whole thing and unpack it from there. Psalm 85, verse 1. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Any initial thoughts on the psalm? What's it seem to be saying? The Lord will make everything fine. Which means we're forgiven. Well, everything's not fine because he has to make it fine. It's yeah. a time Eventually, it's right. Eventually, it's time right. But but there but the the psalmist the voice of the psalmist is expressing a condition where things are not right. Well, first he starts by saying, remember the time when things were right because your people were doing what they were supposed to do in terms of worshiping God. But now we've fallen into some serious issues and it's time to renew our relationship with God. It seems to have some movements here. It seems, it seems just in, in, in looking through this that you, it, it uh, proclamations of verse 1, 2, and 3 that you have been favorable to your land, um, you have brought back, you have forgiven, you have taken away, uh, seems to be a remembrance. You, you've done this. We, we're, we're conscious of your graciousness, of your restoration. We can talk about what that might refer to. But then verse 4 seems to shift. Restore us, cause your anger to cease, that you know, so so 
something is different in tone between the remembrance of God's blessings in verses 1 and 3, and then verses sort of 4 through uh, 7 seem to speak of a, a prayer that God will turn the fortunes and it, it, will, it will be different. And then verse 8 seems to um, also mark a shift to um, the prayer then results in a posture of listening. Let me hear what the Lord will speak. So when we want to be restored, we want restoration, we're praying, praying. Okay, Then we have to start beginning to listen to the word of God and reorder our lives around it, um, which is one of the reasons I think this fits into the Advent framework, that, that which is about hearing the word of God and, and listening. Um, and then it seems like, you know, um, verse 9 reflects a revelation of hearing in God's word, that salvation is near those who fear him. And, and then it, it talks about, uh, there's a number of uh, <clears throat> interesting words here, that glory may dwell, you know, the glory of God is, is um, often referred to, it, it fills the temple, it, it, um, and of course, this is going to have a horizon of the incarnation because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten father. So, so the glory and dwell um, has the um, sense of, of tabernacle, of, of living in the land. Um, God lived in the temple, but of course he dwells. So, so, so that, that's, we picked that up. And then, um, so, so we have this sort of framework of remembrance of what, of, of what God had done, a prayer for a renewal of those blessings, uh, leading to hearing God's word and understanding it's, it's, um, it's near and, and some reflections of what that salvation looks like. So let's, let's, let's start with that first section on what we might call remembrance. You 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 have um, you have been favorable to your land, um, which means something has been accomplished. This is not uh, a hope; it, it's the tense is accomplished. And you, have, the interesting thing is, you brought back the captivity of your people. Does that give us any sense of what he where he might be talking about? What historical setting? Babylon. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seemed to be the most obvious one. Yeah. You, you might think that you've been favorable to your land. You could think back to the conquest of the promised land and the blessings of Solomon, but it wasn't ever really conceived of as a return. I mean, they were captive in Egypt and brought into the land, but, but the language was never <coughs> a return from captivity or anything like that. So it does seem to be maybe the... Um, at least as the theme of that 
coming back from, from captivity, um, which harkens most to the Babylonian captivity. And at the end of the Old uh, Testament, we should, you know, there, we should have some familiarity with what happened there because it sets the table for the New Testament. So, um, Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, went into exile in Babylon around the year 586 BC. Uh, and this is recorded at the end of the book of King, Second Kings, how uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the temple and carried people off. But then um, the story moves forward in, in, the, Old, in the Old Testament. Uh, what happens next? Well, his son Darius, Darius, that comes to reign, and so, and, and I mean, I, I don't really expect anyone to know this, like, of course, but but I think by making you think a little Daniel, bit, it makes Rachel us recall. Man. But um, so the Babylonians uh, who conquered uh, the southern kingdom were conquered by the Persians. Uh, that's that story is told um, in 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 Daniel. <laughs> and so Darius is Persian. He's Persian. Okay. And and then um, the the most famous Persian king in the Bible, Cyrus, which is the as my Hebrew professor said, it's a Hebrew word for king. I mean, excuse me, a Persian word for king. So it could be, but but Cyrus um, is the king who allows the Jews to come back and rebuild. And that's in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. You'll get that story if you read. So the Jews are in exile in Babylon. Babylon is conquered by the Persians. The Persians are favorable because the Persians have a more, um, uh, shall we say, ecumenical view towards the religion of conquered peoples. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they generate a policy that they would support the local religion so long as it prayed for the Persian king. And so... Um, and incidentally, so, so, the, so Cyrus the Persian allows the Jews to go back and rebuild. And there's a very interesting history for those who want to pursue it, uh, because, um, you know, Persia and Israel always had a kind of, of, of favorable connection. And there was a Persian kingdom that endured, and then it's like, it's, it's, Highly likely that the Magi were Persian ambassadors, though it fits into our biblical imagery to make them kings from the south that fits into the motif of Psalm 72 and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're, they, so they're, there's, a whole, there's still a Persian kingdom over there. And... Um, just the interaction, that the, the favorableness of, 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 of the Persians to the Jews and, the, and how they um, allowed this to happen. So they came back, they, and what happened uh, under, in the, did they rebuild the temple? Yeah. yeah. Yes, they did. <clears throat> what was, uh, this is something that you should have imprinted in your memory because it's mathematical. When... <laughs> What was the the day on which they celebrated the, the rebuilding of the temple? How long after the Babylonian captivity in uh, 586? 
six. Five hundred years? No. Really? That long? No, it was a number. No. What the Bible would know. No, it was <laughs> 70. So the, the rebuilding is, is celebrated in 515 uh, because uh, Jeremiah said that there would be 70 years that the land would lay um, Foul, 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 because, because Israel had never observed those Sabbaths, so that now now they he'd, he'd make the land do that. So the, the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilt temple, is celebrated in five fifteen. So there's a temple. The, Israel comes back and they and and um, there's so books at the end of the Old Testament talk about this kind of. Um, historical setting, they come back, there's some celebration back in the land, uh, and there's some clearly a sign of God's blessing that he's fulfilled his promise. Yet, if you read through that history, you realize it wasn't like great. They had a lot of enemies, and the, the temple was pretty pathetic compared to the one that Solomon built. And didn't you say God didn't ever inhabit it? Well, we never we're never given a biblical account of of the glory coming back to the temple the way it did under Solomon. When Solomon dedicated the temple in um, I believe it's First Kings chapter eight, as he's praying, the cloud enters and they and there's this thing and 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 we're told in Ezekiel of the presence. Uh, leaves the temple before the Babylonian invasion and destruction. And there's never a biblical account of the glory coming back. Now, um, I believe that that provides some substantial biblical backdrop for um, um, Palm Sunday, where the glory of God enshrined in the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, enters Jerusalem, comes to his temple, and is rejected. So there's there's not when the Messiah comes, if if we get that that the that that, that, that um, there's clearly is a presence of God in the temple. Uh, there are faithful people we read about in Luke's gospel, like Annie, Anna and Simeon, mm-hmm. who hang out there. And God spoke to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, in the temple. So it's not as though it wasn't the meeting place. But we're just never given that it was re-inhabited quite the same way it was under Solomon. I was just going to say one thing about um, Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And since Eric came from there... <clears throat> He's an Armenian, so he's in a Christian community, but he was raised in Iran. So when you talk about Persian Jews and how the Persian culture allowed other faiths, Eric's kind of the modern-day example or someone that you might know that has experienced that. (laughs) Because um, when he was growing up anyway in Iran, they accepted Christians as long as you didn't try to rule the government, <clears throat> but they were allowed, they were discriminated against in some ways, but overall they were tolerated to practice their Christian faith in a Muslim country because they were accepting of, of Baha'i faith and of Zoroastrians and of Christians, and they accepted other faiths. 
and allowed you to worship however you wanted to as long as you didn't interfere with the government or try to overthrow the government. That changed mm -hmm. in 1979 with the revolution and the Ayatollahs took over and that all changed. And so Eric cannot go back mm -hmm. to Iran with risking, without risking being arrested as a Christian or as an American or as other than. So just, I think- The Christians also protected the Armenians for about a thousand years, I think. They, because they, yeah. Sort of, except yeah. that's how fam that's how Eric's family came yes. to Iran. Yeah. They were captured and brought right. to Iran. Right. Um, and just one other thing about Persian Jews. Um, if you go to LA, the majority of Persians in LA are Persian Jews mm -hmm. to this mm -hmm. day because of what you said, that connection they had back in the day. Mm -hmm. But their cultures just kind of mesh together in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And that's... Uh, probably the most common uh, Persian person you will encounter in, in this area, and I'm speaking you know, broadly, mm -hmm. are Persian Jews. And the, the, the ancient religion of Persia was Zoroastrianism. Uh -huh. you know, obviously, years, 100 years after Christ. So, um, And there's a Zoroastrian temple in Huntington Beach. Yeah. Where's that? This large, um, That's good. I went there once. I can't remember where it's located because I did it during uh, seminary studies. But mm -hmm. um, uh, it's all Persian names all mm -hmm. over it. But, 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 but uh, Zoroastrianism. They're fire worshippers. Fire worshippers, yeah. And mm -hmm. But they have a kind of, that there are probably some commonalities. Uh, well, there's a lot of interesting meditation. So we can, you can, um, there's a guy named, Yamaguchi wrote a book called Persia and the Bible. It's a, not a not a small little book. You get a few facts, but if you're interested in diving into it, um, so if we if we're looking at the um, setting of the psalm, in which we remember that God has brought back the captivity but now we're asking for his anger to cease. If you look at, at the condition of return from exile, where God has been gracious to bring his people back to their land, but they don't yet enjoy the fullness of the blessings. And so they're, they're involved in, in um, introspection and, and confession. Um, that fits. But it, it always... Um, as a more general application to our lives of prayer, you know, we, God has been gracious to us in many ways in terms of the blessings, and yet we find ourselves in circumstances where we experience something less than that. And we, so, so that, that we, and we remember God's goodness, which is the ground of our prayer always. And of course, this is a biblical theme from the very beginning. The primary act of remembrance is remembering uh, what God did in Israel, excuse me, in Egypt, to bring Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus. And then, of course, in the New Testament is what God has done in um, on the cross to redeem us and fulfill the Torah and bring us into, you know, relationship with him. And so the, the, the accomplished fact of God's salvation and his demonstrated goodness is always the grounds for the current prayer where we know we can trust because of the history, because of the remembrance. We know that he will be 
faithful now like he always has been. And we're asking for another manifestation of that in, in our current circumstance. So you've been favorable to our land. You brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fears of your anger. Um, so forgiveness, it turns away the wrath and judgment. It's the experience of grace. And I think this makes sense as a posture of prayer for us, because that's true of our lives. Always true that we, and, and in a way that the, the, the psalmist wouldn't quite have envisioned because, and this is a way that Christian view of time is different than the Jewish view, is that, that um, the, the, what was accomplished in the <clears throat> incarnation cross and resurrection of Jesus was it's the center of human history. It fulfilled the old covenant and um, established the kingdom of God and Jesus as Lord. And that's never going to be undone. So, so we always live in the reality of that forgiveness. Um, and yet, there are times in life when we experience um, still the the impact of 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 sin or um, um, and I suppose if we if we want to, we want to be clear about this in terms of uh, where he says in verse four, restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger to cease. That um, that for those who live in Christ. We don't go back to the situation previous to baptism and faith where God's mad at our sins. We have to get, you have to experience salvation all over. But there is, um, discipline as children of God. There's a passage in, um, in, um, the first Corinthians passage on the heels of the passage about, um, about the Lord's Supper, where he says this uh, thing. Um, this is 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So the, the idea of chastening or, or parental discipline is a posture that we do experience that as Christians. It's not that, 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 that discipline itself doesn't take us out of God's favor. We still, you don't, as, as Hebrews says, the Lord chastens whom he loves. Um, there, there's no, so, um, so I guess I'm trying to establish how we can have both this fixed posture of remembering all that God has done in a way that is real in our lives, our sins are forgiven, and yet we might experience some of this turn of fortune where we're now experiencing something that is that is um, feels like God's displeasure. 
where you might pray, restore us and cause your anger to cease. Verse 5, will you be angry with us forever? Will you provoke, will you prolong your anger to all generations? It's a sort of a typical Jewish bargaining with God. Kind of <laughs> Human nature. Yeah, I bargain a lot. Well, there's, there's, there's the bargaining and there's the, you know, like you'll get, you saw them say, well, guys, you nail us, who's going to praise you? You know, come on, you got to, you know, who's going to, how can I give you thanks? If, how can I give you what you want if you, if you kill me here? Um, And I, I think the whole idea of forever and prolonged to generations speaks of, you know, sometimes the, the, the virtue in the New Testament of long-suffering, mm-hmm. forbearance, is we are called in the Christian life to endure in a persevering way through times of struggle, knowing that we're in the grace of God as we do it, and that's kind of the juxtaposition in the Christian life of cross-bearing and participating in the resurrection of the kingdom, you know, of life in the spirit that still has, you know, the remnant of the flesh. So, um, so we pray for mercy, and, and we and we. Um, And the the point of trust and faith is that it simply hangs on to God because it understands that there really isn't any other place to go. It's not a matter of how long you're going to, you know, hang on before you give up. For for, for faith, (laughs) that's a senseless question. Um, it's, It's simply this is the posture of waiting for God is simply the posture knowing that in his good time he, he will he will um turn to us i have a question bishop this might be too big i don't know but i have it nevertheless is coming up with this is still how, how how do we so like the the wrong that people have done to us in our past like our childhood or whatever how do we take that and even though we know God has forgiven us for this great debt, and that little debt is so small compared, but it's just like, I mean, I know this as a psychologist too, but it's just like, what do we do with what they did to us? How do we, will God just keep processing that? Or just how do we go take this? I don't want to be mad at them forever for what's happened. <laughs> like this wrath. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing when he's like, take your wrath from me, but it's kind of like, you know, we're going to be forgiven as we forgive. So it's just like when we notice all this wrath that you've been carrying for other people, how do we, how do we let God just release that from us? What do you do with it? Let's, I'm like, we can say, oh, the blood of Christ covers them. Yeah, I mean, and we talked at some length last time okay. a little bit about this because um, we have to distinguish between the the objective truths of the gospel, our sins are forgiven. Right. You know, um, and the spiritual emotional process by which 
that objective truth comes to be experienced by us as a living reality. And my belief is that that when that we have we have to sort of work through the legitimate pain of life through the perspective of healing, and the, the big the big problem many people have is that they um, they confuse forgiveness with it just goes away, and um, instead of understanding that, um, especially in the act of forgiving that we have to first acknowledge that we experience something that hurt a lot. There's a, a, this idea of grieving. <clears throat> it's one of the reasons I think that Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. But when we, um, there's a part of us that carries painful memories, metaphorically, or parts. And um, they are real things that we've been through. But they can be healed by uh, um, integrating, by, by, by embracing that part that is sad and allowing ourselves to grieve through something that we wanted but did not get. And I believe we have to do this again and again. This is, this is something where people say, well, you know, I, I, I forgave and, and now... Oh, it's all better than you get something else would trigger. Because what what happens is these things in our lives that are are um, we tend to we tend to um, experience repeated patterns in our lives. So um, there will be people who will um, remind us, uh, uh, or the word might be trigger, like oh this, and all of a sudden I'm I'm I'm. I'm, you know, angry or sad again. And I think that, again, has to, again, be brought back to prayer, to process what's said about. Oh, that's right. There's, I, I, that we carry some sadness. And and this is, um, I, I think there's a lot of misinformation about this uh, in in the church, the idea that that the joy of the Holy Spirit means the absence of any temporal feelings of sadness, and I think that's not true. It's not true. I think that I think that what really is that that the temporal experience of sadness is given a new context mm-hmm. through the presence of Christ with us in it, and allows us to to grieve and mourn through what we've lost again, um, and 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 uh, the act of being sad for and mourning what we've lost is a healing act. Mm-hmm. It allows us to, mm-hmm. to, to validate our experience of life and then is prelude to really being able to forgive. Now I can let go of, of um, the person at whose hands I may have experienced that uh, so that that person doesn't have a hold on me anymore. But because the key thing is, the key thing to understand this is it is um, validating your own experience of your life. And it isn't even that there's, this tends to be true in, in, uh, in family situations. It is, isn't even always true that the person at whom you may have experienced something 
intended it exactly that way. Right. You know, uh, but still you experience it that way and you, you, you can process your experience of your life. If we don't want to do that, if we're unwilling to do that, we tend to blame, we tend to be angry at people because we, we, we want to get rid of it, which means we want our life to be different, we want it to not have happened. And this, this, this to me, in my experience, leads to a lot of the futile patterns people have because they try to make it different in the right. current moment exactly. with the same kind of people that, that they did it in the past mm -hmm. and ends up being the same old story. So until we get to the point where we can grieve through the loss, let go of it, and now we can let go of the need for anyone to be different now, and when some and and we become more able uh, to to let go, and so that's free. So to me, Cheryl's question was about forgiveness, and I think if we don't work through the legitimate hurt we experience, it's going to be really hard to forgive. To experience, we're going to know we should. And in a pious moment, we'll probably let go right. until it's triggered again, and then we're. Yeah. So you, this is how you have to connect your um, your emotional experience with your prayer. Kind of like John. John had the bucket that's life there from quiet class on Sunday and prayer. You have to. Your art. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I've never written anything with that. So. Um, so. And this is where we talk about prayer is, is, is the contemplative idea of prayer is sitting like I'm, I'm angry. I'm better, I'm, you know, whatever it is you're feeling, you're angry at someone, you need to withdraw from the tension of the circumstance of what's this about? Why am I angry? And you get beneath the anger, you're probably feeling, I'm afraid, or what well, is part of who's hurt by that? Okay. Now we're dealing with something that can become a space of prayer. And if we allow, um, so, and we, and we allow ourselves to grieve through the loss, ex experience the presence of Christ in it, learn what he has to say to us, learn our lesson. Because the other thing about this is that um, we all have a role in our lives, and we may want to blame people, and there may have been real people who, who but we always have a response to that. And typically, our response has not always been the best of all responses. So, um, uh, I, I can own my own role in my life, and I can begin to grieve through this. Now I can respond in a healthier way and, and allow my life to, to, to become a new thing through the presence of Christ in it, who leads me now. And actually, very, that's very appropriate to the psalm. It might get us... Back because uh, he's saying here that um, uh, so we revive us again that your people may rejoice in you a prayer for new life um, and there, there's some interesting um, so show us your mercy and grant us your salvation now salvation is going to come up in a few places here and um, the word for salvation is related to the word for 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 Jesus, because Yeshua Yeshua is the Jewish word, Joshua Jesus. So um, grant us your salvation and mercy and salvation. 
I think in a very profound way is having Jesus with us in the thing we're going through. And, and, and having our lives enter into the narrative of his life so that what we're suffering uh, is not denied or run from, but it's understood as a participation in the cross that is leading to a participation in the resurrection. Um, and that, that uh, Christ may not magically take away all the things that you'd like him to take away that you're thinking and feeling or is happening to you, but he will be with you in all those things. He will not run away. And facing the reality, the really painful reality of our life in faith and prayer is, a, is, a, is the way we begin to, to, to face life more realistically, as opposed to the kind of thing we're just praying, you know, for miracles and, and wait for it to happen to go away. A lot of times we're running from those, those, those things. And it Um, but don't you think that some people ponder on all the bad things that there are in their lives and could perhaps help by thinking of the good things that go on? Well, well I mean, we have to get there, there are personality types, um, and some people are more deeply emotional and perhaps connected to, to pain, and some people are are naturally more positive. Some of that's just personality type stuff. Um, but there, people are out of touch. Yeah. There, going but, on. but I don't, I don't think anything I'm talking about is, um, is contrary to a positive outlook and joy. In fact, the real positive outlook comes when I grieve through what I lost. I, I, I allow, I, I, experience the presence of Christ who now gives that a new place in my story and now I understand what God is doing in all areas of my life which is a lot more than just mere positive thinking it's the reality of God's work and so sometimes the mere positive thinking is okay so look at all these good that's happened and and yet the person sometimes I'm not sure you believe you know, person I listen to people and it's like I'm not sure you believe that you know you're you're it's just too simple we so it Easter always results in a po a positive um, outlook and conquest where Jesus shows us his hands of God's work, just as our lives in prayer will become you know the things we've gone through will become the evidence of God's power to work through them. I'm just saying we just can't skip too quickly over it. And I, I want to allow that their personality types, some people are just more, you know, want, want to kind of hand, and, and I think everyone has to handle things their own way. Some people, they're, they're, I've, I've noticed this, that some people, some people feel life very deeply. Some people seem to skip over things. That's okay. But I think everybody has to understand when, when it, it's sad and hurt, it hurts, and you have to face it. Some people can do that more quickly. Maybe what you're saying, too, is that we we can get stuck in the victim identity and Christ can't heal this and woe is me and I'm just stuck hurting forever. Well, I think there's I, th I think, like that. I think that's I think that's that's you don't if you become a victim, 
that's a psychology. It's not being a victim is a psychology. It's not. Um, it's 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 a way you respond to to things that happen to you. But when I you know I Marion's Marion's touching on um, something that I think is generational mm. in our culture, mm. um, and the 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 I would say in general um, our older generation associated with what somebody called the greatest generation, uh, but had a a more traditional, resilient, you, you know, bitch and moan, you, you suck it up, you go get your work done, and, and you know, don't, don't cry about it. Just get it done. Give you something to cry. Yeah, and, and there, there are, um, there, there's, there, there, there's definitively a virtue to that. On the other side, then, and this, it's, um, it's not. It, reality, it's though. not sure. It's not sure that uh, mm -hmm. it's not. Not everybody in any generation is really reflects this thing we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But in general, that was the value. Mm -hmm. Now, in in the younger generation, there's a little bit more willingness to to say "ouch," mm -hmm. shall we say, mm -hmm. to um, oh, you know, to be to be overwhelmed by the least little thing, you know, as, as, as and, and to, to label, you know, the, 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 the you know, to, to, to allow the girlfriend who broke up with you to, to the deep depression, when you're really just a little sad. Um, so, so I, what I, what I have observed is that, um, that both an essential thing but health requires the merger of acknowledging painful things are painful, real mourning. And if you want to say that's like being wimpy, let's look at King David. We talked about this in here. Did he not, you know, mourn over Absalom? Did he not, did he not deeply feel life? And yeah, then he, when he finished his mourning, went up, got up, went, kicked ass, took names. And I, 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 that's all. I'm, I'm not advocating for anybody to get stuck in in your emotional wound. That's a that's the that's the victim yeah. mentality. The victim mentality has happened to me. Poor me. Woe is me. And no way forward. That's that's the victim mentality. But then, but then there's the other side. For those of you who are Monty Python fans, where the Black Knight would sit there and he, you know, cut off his arm, oh, just flesh wound, you know, and you know he's, he's sitting there on the ground as a, as a, you know, quadriplegic, maintaining that nothing really had happened the whole time. And, and so um, there's a, I'm just suggesting there's a balance here, that that um, that health means acknowledging legitimate pain, working it through, but it's never an excuse for us not to fulfill our obligations to people. So we need to have space to, to, to validate how we're feeling, experiencing life, that's our prayer, that's our relationships, but then we also have to be able to go and if we said we'd go to work and work, let's go work, work, do what we said. So that's what I want to see. And, and in general, that means sometimes 
you know, with the older generation, we have it's okay to be sad about that. It really was sad. And the younger generation, you have to say, you know, okay, I hear, I feel it now. I asked you to do this. I'd like to get, I'd like you to do, you know, I, I feel with you, but I need you to do what you told me you would do for me. And I need it done when you told me you do it for me, you know, or some, you know, so that's the balance I'm looking for. And, and, and I think that for most of us, if you want to think in terms of spiritual growth, think of what you least, what you embrace least easily. So generally, the suck it up generation is like, okay, yeah, that's what that was. It's legitimate for me to mourn through that. Learn that process and still do all your stuff. Don't, don't, you know, and then the people are always, you know, oh, you know, it's like, okay. Here's what you do. Get up at eight. <laughs> yeah, it's like that one general said, make your bed, yeah. you know, go, yeah. uh, uh, go out, every day. Yeah. go out and do what you said you're going to do, <laughs> yeah. but, but have, retain, retain space to, to work through that, but, but work on, work on being able to, um, move forward in life mm-hmm. when feelings are contrary. Mm-hmm. And I, there's something important here about this that, um, It's called uh, a kind of, uh, we, we, we call this sort of, there's different words for it in, in the trauma stuff, you call it dissociation. In, in generally, my call just exile, we push the emotions away. So everybody has to do that sometimes. So if I'm feeling heavy, but problems do that, I gotta push you away and do my work. I call but, it bathroom But, but <laughs> if I have a space in my life then to sit, and address it and work through how I'm feeling with pr- in my prayer, it won't follow me everywhere. If I'm always pushing it away, it'll begin to sneak out in various bad habits. Uh, and you, you know, your, your, your favorite, uh, is it eating? Is it drinking? Is it smoking? Whatever your favorite, or, you know, there's always a way people, the compulsive act behaviors of life tend to flow out of these, these, the, the deeply painful things that I don't want to face. So we all have to push them aside to go do our work. You know, I mean, for example, I, I just tell that, that I'd like, in the middle of liturgy, sometimes something hits me heavily. It's like, but I cannot do this. <laughs> I, 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 I will find time to do that. So I put it aside. You know, and that's what I'm talking about is, is, is we have to, and that's, that's incidentally, that's very important with this emotional thing because if, if there's a sense of victimization, to the degree to which how you, you feel these emotions can victimize you at any time, every time you feel them, you're, you're, you remain a victim. But if, if you realize that you have agency in relationship to your experience, yes. I can decide, I'm going to process, I'm going to deal with this, I'm going to spend some time on this, I'll get some counseling, I'll get whatever, I'll work it through. But now I won't do it here. Yeah. That's your true self not being victimized by this, being, being someone who can, yeah. yeah, who can witness it as, as Laird would say and not, and not be a victim of it. Yeah. So that's kind of, I hope that makes some kind of yeah. sense. Because oh, yeah. it, it, I, I get that when we talk about this, uh, it can sound like, oh, woe is me. I'm not really advocating for that. But and don't um, you think that all the, my parents' generation, the, the great generation, they grew up on farms, they grew up working, they grew up, you know, they had a really 
they had to work for everything. Yeah. And now we live in, and they didn't know much about our internal workings. They didn't know much about attachment. They didn't know, you know. So now we know more. And so it's, it, it's kind of a balance because they did live in denial about how scary it was to be in the South Pacific, you know, and never talk about it. So, yeah. And we didn't have agency we then. And we didn't feel like we did mm-hmm. as little kids because they were the giants. Mm-hmm. And so well, you can that, that's the, the, you know, the, the, the PTSD diagnosis which really came out of Vietnam. You cannot, you cannot deal with how scary it is to be in the South Pacific when you're in the South Pacific. Right, you can't. Yeah, that's <laughs> you, exactly you, right. You have to do it at some other point in time. Right. You, you just, because you can't, you, that, that, and that's, that's the point, you know, when right. we deal with it, is just kind of reintegrating our, the parts of us that carry the experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bishop, I, I, you know, when I get feeling like that, um, <clears throat> I examine, I think back, to what I've been through, but it has led me to be here, mm-hmm. and this is the path. Mm-hmm. And um, so that then I'm grateful for where I am, my friends, my children, my life, and and I'm here. Yeah. And that all all of that turmoil, whatever, has I'm really okay. You can yeah. deal with it. Well, yeah. this, this, I think this kind of leads in because let, let, let's let's read on because I'm, I'm with Joan on that, and I, I think that some of the implications <laughs> of the language that comes up. So you're at, they're asking for mercy and mercy. I will hear what the Lord God will speak. So we're in need, and we're praying for mercy. We have to learn to be still and silent. Uh, okay, where's the voice of God? What 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 is going on? Um, which leads to, uh, and it also says, important line, he'll speak, but let them not per- turn back to folly. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to sit and listen, ready to go in a new direction. I'm not going to repeat the pattern. And then what? Then God sort of, I think the message mm-hmm. begins in verse 9, surely his salvation, again, related to the name Jesus, is near those who mm-hmm. fear him. I'm thinking in the name of Jesus, I'm thinking fear him and, and having faith in him. We're saved by faith and Jesus is always near. <clears throat> that, that glory may dwell in our land. The glory that inhabited the tabernacle in the Old Testament now actually dwells within us. Because in the body of Christ, we are temple of God. And we, we, we are, are, are um, tabernacles of that glory. Um, so salvation is near us. Jesus is near us. He's with us. And that's the first experience of salvation is to realize whatever it is that's here, it won't overwhelm me. Why? Because Jesus is with me. If he's with me and it's going to be okay. It's like, um, that boat on the Sea of Galilee, big storm. Jesus is, it looks like he's asleep. Hey, Lord, you know, you wake up, but he's like, you know, so it seems like sometimes if we had the faith that Jesus has, at, you know, demonstrated in his earthly life, we would like to see the storm. We're like, okay, just trust God. We're like, okay, just trust God. Maybe <laughs> just a, a little bit smaller way, a little bit less. <clears throat> So mercy and truth have met together. And 
Um, that, those are sort of time-tested words in English, but it means something like uh, mercy is more like uh, steadfast love, God's covenant love. And truth uh, probably means something like faithfulness, have met together. Um, they've met in that God's covenant love in Christ and the faithfulness of Christ this is one of the things that um, we have to, the New Testament language brings out because a lot of times we, we think about we're saved by faith in Jesus. But there are a number of passages that really, uh, if we look at the translation, it will say, or at least a couple of passages, we're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. He is the one who's faithful. We, we're trying to be faithful to all these things we go through, and sometimes we succeed better than others. He is the one who was faithful to the covenant through it. So the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God meet in Christ. And through the, the, the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, mercy comes to us. So Christ can be with us and help us through our trials. Um, And then it seems to hear, okay, so what happens then? So truth shall spring out of the earth. Um, and that, again, would be um, truth. Faithfulness would be seen as behaving faithfully according to the truth. So truth is not inaccurate. It's, but this is not an, an abstract truth, but true, true behavior. Behavior in accordance with truth. So... Um, Truth, faithfulness shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. And what's interesting here is that we'll get to the harvest of the field, but here it seems like the harvest of righteous behavior precedes the harvest in the field. So truth shall spring out of the earth when God's people who turn for mercy and wait on him and listen and, and experience the presence of Christ who dwells within us and his mercy and his faithfulness, and begin to live in a new way, faithfully, then all of the good things begin to, to be a consequence of that new thing that happens. And I think um, it came to be the sort of that seek first is his righteousness and all these things. Because that then it's verse 12, yes, the Lord will give us what is good, and our land shall yield this increase. <clears throat> but, but truth sprung out of the earth, before the crops did. Yeah. And it was faithlessness that led the crops to fail. Yeah. And there's a, there's a connection between those things. And righteousness will go before him and should make his footsteps our pathway. And this reminds me of those words, Jesus, follow me. Footsteps, our pathway. So we're going to follow where he is going. All right, we'll stop there. Let's pray. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us, give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. 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 Good with you all online. We had Robert, Katie, Marcia, Elizabeth, Jim and Phyllis, and Mimi. Hi, guys. Thank you so much. Hi. There she is. Yeah. yeah, I have a trivia, yeah, trivia question. What movie was this song read? Yeah, if you can. This song? What? Uh, this, what song was this? What movie, what famous movie was this song read?